mafia, force, karma. We use those kinds of words. And in both cases, those are very biblically inadequate answers to the question, where is God? Because both of those answers don't have any attributes. God is not a personal being with a character who has a will, who has agency. And so we've talked about living with those different answers and, 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 and disputing some of the myths that, that, we, that we live with and answering that question. Like some of us, uh, we, we don't acknowledge this, but we live this way. Like we think the pastor's prayers kind of have more of a direct line to God than, than some of y'all's prayers. Some of us operate that way. Or God hangs out more at church than he hangs out in the workplace. There are certain places God's more likely to hang out and there are certain people God's more likely to hang out with than other people. And, and we dispelled some of that as, as we here, everyone here is a, a priesthood of believers with the spirit of God upon you to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let loose the oppressed to declare that this is the day that the Lord has made. It's God's world that we live into. God's favor is upon us. All of creation and all the places that we enter are holy because we carry the presence of God with us. And in many cases, God shows up before we even enter the room, before we ever arrive. So in this series, we're gonna declare in view of sin, in view of the sad realities that we see in our world, in view of, of what you're suffering with and the pain that you're dealing with and the bad news that you've received. We're here to declare throughout this series that in view of all of that and all the questions we may have surrounding that, that God is good, that God is trustworthy, that God is faithful, that he is a healer, that he is with us in those situations and in those circumstances, even though he didn't cause them to happen to us. So for today, I want us to keep in mind some of those things that we've struggled with in our life to reconcile with the goodness of God. I want us to keep in mind some of those, those realities that, have, that are painful, the suffering that's painful that we've lived with that occupies our memory. I want us to keep some of that in mind as difficult as it is. I want us to keep that in view this morning as we explore God's word for us. I got to go this week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to a conference. Um, it was called the New Room Conference. Went with some staff here. It was an amazing conference. I just, I was very refreshed and renewed. It was just amazing to be in a, I think it was 2,500 people or so were, attended this conference and in the midst of prayer services and worship and just seeing people really just cry out to God and receive healing through confession, through repentance, through just seeking after God. It was just an amazing, a powerful experience. But because it was in another state, it was in Tennessee, we had to do that whole routine of, you know, carry luggage to the airport and go through security and all that good stuff. All those fun procedures that we like, we like to deal with. And I, I, would let, I would like to let you know that all six of us and our team that went from First Methodist, none of us checked a bag. Hey, none of us checked a bag. We were only there two nights, so it's not that big of accomplishment, but nobody, nobody checked a bag. So I, I know we've, we've had conversations about this when we were killing time in the airport. Uh, how many of us either going to a destination or coming from a destination have, have had that experience of, oops, it's over 50 pounds, bag's a little too heavy, got to rummage through and, and figure out how to get it under the weight limit when the bag hits the scale, you know? So you're going through, you're digging through your luggage, you got to figure out, what am I going to get rid of? You don't want to 
get rid of anything. You brought things just in case. You brought things, you brought comforts. You brought, you brought things that, that, that you felt like you needed. But if you don't, if you don't remove these items, if you don't remove some of the weight from your luggage, you're not going to get to the destination that you want to go to. And I, I think if we're honest and we do inventory of our life, there's some things in our life, there's some memories of pain and suffering, there's, there's some of these times where we ask the question, where is God? That have weighed us down. They're too heavy and they've kept us stuck. They've kept us from living into the goodness and the promise that God has called us to live into. And, and not just our stuff and our mess and our crap, right? Not just stuff pertaining to us, but, but we carry each other's pain sometimes. I mean, the pain and the suffering that our loved one experienced or someone we're connected to, we stuff that in our bag and carry that through life and make their pain our pain and their suffering our suffering. And, and to that particular point, uh, my friend Kurt Tahera made something very, very clear to me over the last month and a half or so. And Kurt Tahera is a guy I grew up with. His older brother, Ryan, is my age. So the brothers Tahera and the brothers Ryanga grew up together in the same place we went to school. Childhood friends turned into lifelong friends. And Ryan and I are the same age. And Kurt and my brother are the same age. We're the eldest by four years. And, and Kurt Tahera is one of those guys I don't know if you've met these people in your life that always knew what they wanted to do, always. Like from the, it's like from the day that I first knew, knew this kid, he wanted to be a pilot. And so as soon as he was old enough to make any money at home or at Flagsticks, this putt-putt batting cage place that, that was by where we used to live, um, he saved for flying lessons. As soon as he could start working, he just put everything towards flying lessons. He went to Purdue University. He majored in aviation or whatever the name of the major was that you need to take to, in order to be a pilot. He did all that. And, to, and he's a Delta pilot. Him and his wife, Alexis, are based in Atlanta, Georgia. And they are avid runners. And Kurt was out running about a year ago now, about a year ago, he was out doing one of his normal routes through some neighborhoods um, in the Atlanta area. They live on the east side of Atlanta and he's running like normal. And a car blows a stop sign, doesn't see the stop sign and runs right into his body and pins him to a neighborhood fence. So from the waist down, praise God it was a car. It's weird to say, but from the waist down, his broken bones, mangled organs, just what would be any, any one of our nightmares was a reality for him. The shock and all of it, the, the process of being exposed to certain vulnerable parts of your anatomy day in and day out and having reproductive questions and having all of these things, these, these lifting restrictions and all this painful physical therapy. I mean, praise God he survived, but this, this last year for him has been difficult to say the least. As he just got out of his 10th surgery, his 10th surgery, surgery, but you know, what I've learned in his story is what I don't have, what I, I don't have permission to, 
to do, what you don't have permission to do as far as Kurt Tahira and what happened to him and his story is, is I can't make his pain part of my pain. I can't make his suffering part of my baggage and part of the reasons why I ask the question, where is God? Because Kurt will tell you that through it all, God was good and faithful. Through it all, God turned what the enemy meant for evil. God turned this horrible, painful, tragic situation full of pain and suffering and a lot of tears. He turned it for good. And Kurt would tell you his faith is stronger now than, than it was before he was hit. That through it all, the, the powerful presence of God in the hospital, the, the strength of his wife Alexis being by his side every single day, the, the prayers of family and friends and the brilliant doctors that operated on him and, and actually the integrity of Delta who have paid for all of his surgeries who have stepped in and helped every step of the way. Through it all, his pain and his suffering and his story through that doesn't get to be something that I can carry and that I can hold against God. And I'm wondering for us, for those of us who, who, who've been carrying a lot of other people's suffering and pain, do you have permission to carry what you're carrying? Do you have permission to carry what it is that you're carrying. Our two friends on the road to Emmaus, we started that story last week, Luke chapter 24. We're gonna read the second half of that story this morning. Our two friends on the road to Emmaus are carrying grief and hopelessness. They've packed that into their life. It's all very fresh because the man that they had hoped for, the man that they thought was gonna be their redemption has been crucified. And so they've been wandering on this road from Jerusalem to this town of Emmaus, just, just in grief and hopelessness, asking a lot of questions and debating amongst themselves, not understanding what in the world just happened and not really sure where to go now because it's been confusing. They've heard these reports from their companions about people who have been to Jesus's tomb and didn't find the body and they don't know what to think. And a stranger comes along the road and joins them. And we know that stranger to be Jesus, but they don't know. They see this man who they perceive to be a stranger, but the identity of Jesus is concealed from them. And so as they begin to answer Jesus's questions, this stranger who's asking questions about why they're upset and trying to get a pulse on the state of their, their being and why they're in the, the place that they're in, as as the stranger's asking them this, these questions and, and they explain, these two men explain, Jesus responds, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I would have loved to be part of that conversation. 
he, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So don't let anyone tell you that, that we're not supposed to read the Old Testament and read every page of scripture through the lens and the fulfillment of what Jesus has accomplished. Because he opens up scriptures, he starts with all of the scriptures and he explains to them what all the scripture has to say concerning himself, concerning Jesus. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continues on, continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You remember the beginning of scripture, the very beginning of our story as God makes the world, he speaks creation into existence and calls it all good. And then pretty quickly we make a mess of things. As Adam and Eve are, are given this place to live, they're given work and they're, they're given food, but there's one tree they're not supposed to eat from. But that forbidden fruit, they couldn't resist the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when they eat the fruit. Their eyes are open. Their eyes are open to realities and into a world, into a way of existence that, that, that we were never, it was never in the mind of God for us to receive the kind of guilt and the kind of shame and experience the kind of vulnerability. And then in our disobedience, we, we, we infect the world with, with so much that God never intended. Their eyes were opened in disobedience. And isn't it beautiful what happens here as, as the bread of life is given? It is the breaking of the bread. And when Jesus gives them to bread, the bread to eat, their eyes are opened and they recognize his identity. As soon as they perceive who he is, he disappears. We infect creation with sin and destruction and chaos and eating the fruit, but eating from the bread of life, we are recreated. We are redeemed to make all things new by the power of the one who enters our lives right in the middle of the hardest realities that we face and the harshest realities that we face. The, the hardest and harshest realities that cause us to ask the question, where is God, are precisely the places where the presence of God is most apparent. That we see on the cross, which is, which is symbolized in the breaking of the bread, the, break, the brokenness of his body. We see on the cross that, that his is a heart for the poor and needy, for those who are downcast, for those, for those people that sometimes we give up on. 
He became poor and needy for us. He left his throne of glory to become a slave for us. He allowed his body to be broken so we could be put back together. He died once for us, but in a way, it's like he died a hundred billion times because of what the cross represents, that it is once, but yet it's like a hundred billion times because of what he does for us on the cross, the way he takes all of our sins all of our collective guilt and all of our collective shame, all of it. And, and, and he takes all of that in addition to, to, to receiving and being tempted by, by, the, by the enemy who's trying to defeat him. He takes all of that upon himself for us and our salvation. All of it he takes upon himself. He experiences the hardest and harshest and most gruesomely painful of all conceivable experience. Like we can't even comprehend the depths that he went for us and our salvation because of the cross of Christ. We can be sure that God is with us because of the cross of Christ. We can be assured that we can endure suffering because he has overcome. And I want us to look at this image because what the cross represents for you and for me in our life is, is the intersection or better yet, the collision of helplessness and hopelessness. When we enter into those seasons in our life, when we can't make sense of what's happened to us with the amount of loss that we've experienced, The cross, it's been the symbol of the church. It's been the symbol, the, the marker of our faith from the beginning. And it represents where hopelessness and helplessness collide. And that is precisely where we find God. That is precisely where we find Jesus, the Messiah, the name who is above every name our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, the lamb who was slain. The cross stands as a symbol forever until Christ comes again, that no matter how dark our reality is, Christ is there. <laughs> we talked about Christ is here was our affirmation last week, that, that in the midst of all of our helplessness and all of our hopelessness, God is there. He's right in the middle of it. So you're at the airport in the luggage of your life. What is it that you're carrying? What is it that you're carrying that, that is weighing you down? What is it that you're carrying? And are you, are you carrying something you were never, ever meant to carry? Have you been hoping Christ would redeem you from the suffering in your life? Because Christ didn't actually come to redeem us from the suffering in this life. Christ actually promised us trouble. Uh, we're promised trouble this side of eternity. It, it's, it's redemption through suffering that Christ came for. He didn't come to redeem us from suffering in this life. He came to redeem us through suffering. He came to suffer for us so that when we suffer, we can understand his love for us. 
us. When we suffer, we have an opportunity to participate in the life of Christ. When we suffer, we start to understand the depths of God's love for us, and we can endure through the suffering because of his redemption, because his power, the power of his Holy Spirit has not left us or forsaken us and is with us always. And that even suffering can be a vehicle by which we step in to the ultimate promise of God, to the holy of holies, to the gates of heaven. And so what is it? What is it that you're carrying that you need to get rid of? And, and throwing away isn't quite going to cut it because we'll dig through the trash. <laughs> We'll dig through the trash and find that resentment that we, we kind of got comfortable with. I mean, we're used to carrying this stuff. These things are, these things are familiar and comfortable. Uh, we'll, we'll dig pretty deep to hold on to that grudge that we just kind of like holding on to. We'll dig underneath the rotting food to that time that we blamed God for taking mom away too soon. We'll dig and find all that stuff that we got used to holding on to. Throwing it away isn't gonna cut it. This, this stuff has to get burned away. And it's only the holy fire of God that can burn this away from our life, that can make us clean. We need to plead with God to, to make us clean. Like these two men on the road who are walking, did not our hearts burn, burn within us? Did not, did not our hearts burn within us? We need to plead and cry out to God and cling to him and ask him to burn away the stuff that's weighed us down the stuff that's kept us stuck, that's kept us blind in despair and in grief, that's kept us from being God's sent ones into a world, into a world and a culture that continues to get farther and farther away from God. It continues to get more disorienting to live into this world. This world so desperately needs the good news that the men and women and the children of God have to deliver but we need all of this burned away. But just like the times in our personal lives, just like the times in our personal lives where we experience suffering and pain, just like those are the times that we can, and it seems counterintuitive because it's, it's those times where we often ask the question, where is God? But by the cross of Christ, we know that those are precisely the times that his presence is there, his presence is, is most apparent in those times. And, and just like that, when we think about our culture and we worry and we lament at where our culture is headed, it is, it is precisely those dark times of society and culture where awakening happens. When we see even our own story in the, in the uh, the Methodist tribe, the, the great awakenings come out of these dark times when the faithful men and women of God fervently pray and call upon the fire of the Holy Spirit to clean themselves because the revival's got to start with you and me before awakening can happen in the city of Mansfield and in, the, in our country, in our culture. So I want to leave us with this, with this word I hope of inspiration from God's word that I think identifies a time that's similar to ours. And it's this amazing vision that 
is given to Isaiah in his call in Isaiah chapter six, verse one to eight. Because I think God called Isaiah in a time that's, that's similar to our own time. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah, a man of unclean lips in the midst of a culture, in the midst of society, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He isn't worthy to be in the throne room of God. He isn't, he isn't worthy as he is, but, but, but he pleads and he cries out to God and God makes him clean. God makes him one with his spirit, one with his will. God takes away his guilt. In that encounter, in Isaiah's encounter with God, in the midst of this throne room of heaven where there's these angelic beings, these seraphim with wings, that, that even though they're like these angelic beings, they can't look on the holiness and the glory and the terrible beauty of God. They can't look directly at him. They they are called the burning ones. That's what their name means, the burning ones. They are burning around the throne of God. And Isaiah confesses and acknowledges he's not worthy to be there, but he cries out, he, he confesses that, and God makes him clean. God commissions him to go. God asks the question. God asks the question, this man, Isaiah, who was carrying too much that needed to be burned away, he couldn't be sent in the state he was in. He had to allow God and the fire of God to burn all that away so, so that he could respond the way he responded to the question. And the question, the Trinity asked, did you catch that? We, who will, who will go for us? My prayer for us, my prayer for us today as we leave this place, my prayer for us as people of God is that we respond each and every day in the revival that has to start with you and me, the revival that has to start with us seeking God and encountering God 
and asking for the power of God to be manifest in our lives so when we step into those places, we, we understand we're not alone. We understand that we can speak prophetically to people. We can encourage one another. We can serve in ways that we never thought we could serve, not because of our strength, but because God's presence is with us and goes before us. My prayer is, is that we spend that time in the revival of our own lives of faith, that this would be our declaration to the Lord. Here am I, God. I am yours. Send me. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, we thank you that in the collision of our lives that often does so much damage, it causes us to ask so many questions, causes us to despair the hopelessness, the helplessness that we feel so often in life. God, we thank you that is precisely the place you came to be for us, that you came here to go there, to go to the cross, to endure what we can endure, to take a punishment that we deserve. Lord, we know that it is by the cross, it is by your wounds that we're healed. So God, help us believe you when you say that you actually do mean, mean greater things for us. We know our, your power is made perfect in weakness and it isn't because of our strength. It isn't because that we're smart or intellectual. It isn't, it isn't because of our ability. It's because you're with us. So help us surrender in a way we haven't really surrendered maybe in a while. We've been clinging on to too many things that have held us back. We've been blind to your presence in our midst. We've neglected the gifts that you've given us. God, forgive us, forgive us. Holy Spirit, wake us up. Wake us up and send us out this week. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.